Yes, your eyes and ears do not deceive you. This is a brand new episode of the Mega Game Assembly podcast. Welcome back. It's been a while. So as you may have guessed, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus during the lockdown while we've been taking stock of what we want the podcast to be, and we've got some fantastic ideas for the future. So this is a special one-off episode, but we will be launching season two of the podcast starting on the 1st of October. That's next Thursday, if you're listening to this on release day. We've got some really exciting and interesting interviews and topics for discussion lined up up so look forward to that we can't wait for you to hear them Uh, but to tide you over this is a recording from a live podcast episode that myself chris and matt did for the mega game coalition's omg con this was part of a video presentation that we were doing over discord so if you would rather watch this rather than listen to it uh, you can head over to the youtube link in the show notes and that will show you the live video there were one or two technical errors shall we say and we do start with a disclaimer that we're not professional pollsters uh, and i really don't think that was necessary because powerpoint and discord were not our friends on this evening but hopefully you'll find it entertaining whether you listen in audio form or head over to youtube and watch it we don't really mind but stay tuned to your podcast player of choice because next week season two of the mega game assembly podcast will be ready for you until then enjoy this special one-off episode Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Mega Game Assembly podcast, coming to you live from the OMG Con, broadcast live to literally some people. My name is Harrison, and I'd like to thank you very much for listening in or downloading this special edition episode. Before we get going, I'd like to introduce you to my fellow Mega Game Assembly co-founders. First up, he's probably been to more Mega Games than you've had hot dinners. In fact, he's probably playing one right now. It's Matt, Mr. Mega Game Bambridge. Uh, Hello, everyone. Then he's old-fashioned and grumpy and loves nothing more than a full nuclear preemptive strike. It's Chris Nukem for Morbid. It's the only way to be sure. Brown. How you this doing is the only way to be sure. All right. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> how, are we doing in, how are we doing in general, chaps? How are we doing? Are I'm, I'm good. Have you got, have you got a uh, intro for yourself? No, no, I don't. I don't need to. That's, that's the joy of doing the introductions. I don't have to <laughs> big myself up. <laughs> so you're right to hide there. Well, then we have to say who we are. I don't think that's fair. Do you, people? Harrison, today. Sorry, Matt. You're you're, you're breaking up. I can't. I can't. I'll just, I'll just carry on with my introduction. <laughs> so uh, before we get stuck in, uh, all three of us would like to dedicate this episode to a great friend and Mega Gaming chum of ours who sadly passed away a couple of weeks ago, John Powney or J. P. to as most of you would have known him if you've played a game in the uk you'd almost definitely have met john uh, he was an absolute legend over here bringing his unique blend of enthusiasm encouragement and ruthlessness to every role and game he played and mega gaming genuinely won't be the same without him yeah for sure yeah so that said, who are the Mega Game Assembly? Well, the site was started by the three of us about a year and a half ago, I think. Essentially, we wanted to try and create somewhere that would be the first stop for anything Mega Game related online. We have a calendar of games, which is currently granted a little bit bare, showing all games happening anywhere in the world, which you can narrow down by region if you wish. And it now also features an online games list as well. And we have links and contact information for all the mega game groups around the world. We are completely neutral. We don't have a dog in the mega game fight. So we give preferential treatment to no one. However, bribes are always welcome. As well as our calendar, we have a blog, a podcast, and a Facebook group for discussion of anything you fancy, really. We also have a large collection of free-to-download Mega Games on our site, so any budding designers out there can download these, take them apart, and see how other designers tackle the task of writing a Mega Game. We all three of us wanted the site to exist to try and get more people into Mega Gaming and try and make the barrier for entry as low as possible. So once you're done listening to us waffle on, check us out at megagameassembly.com. 
Right, that said, uh, it's probably for me. So I'm going to hand over to Chris in a second to explain what we're going to be talking about tonight. But if anyone has any questions for us about anything at all, probably Mega Gaming is more our specialist subject, but why not put anything in there you want? Uh, please send them to the chat, which is OMG Con panel questions. And we'll be doing a Q&A type thing in the second half once we run out of stuff to talk about. So Chris, take it away. Yeah, thank you very much, Harrison. That was another very good intro as usual. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, next slide, please. Next slide. Okay, Next let's slide. see if this works. Can we do that? Oh, this, this is this. this that's where the professionalism ends. By the way, guys, this oh, it's all downhill no, from. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Like Harrison said, we. If you want to ask any questions, you can do it from the OMG Con Panel Questions. Um, channel um so yeah we're happy to answer them we'll probably like pick them up at the end of this um piece but uh, this initial piece will be on the mega game ticket survey that we uh, kept hounding people to answer so if we go to the next slide we can talk a little bit about it as you can see my beautifully crafted um presentation over many weeks has been ruined by discord i'm quite i'm going to write a letter an angry email to them later um <laughs> you had to put that in there, didn't you? You were you're really genuinely upset about. I am genuinely upset. It's missing a G on warning. I'm now missing the entire slide, but whatever. It, it had warning <laughs> written on it, but it's now just warning. I, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's Aussie. Maybe it's Australian for something. It's just dropping the G. We should put an O on there, maybe. Um, so I'm seeing the first screen again, uh, Matt. I don't know if you want to go forward again. Uh, for me, it's telling me I am. Let's start this again, shall we, if it's being awkward? You want me to start my introduction again? Shall we just pretend this never happened? Yeah, absolutely. Just roll it okay. from the beginning. Hello, welcome yeah. to this place. <laughs> okay, what can people see now? Uh, I can still see I the, see um, the first, first slide. slide. Well, there we go. There's warning. Right. Yeah, there's Chris, a warning. Do you know that warning has a G on the end of it? Just, How um... dare you? <laughs> Crafted that over weeks. We, we should have spell-checked this. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't me though, so you know, bloody Discord. Anyway, warning. Yes, neither Matt, myself, or Harrison are um, pollsters. We don't we don't do um, this for a living. So what you're going to see next is is obviously some stuff that I put together essentially that we've talked about beforehand from the survey that we sent out. So bear in mind that we we just aren't professionals at this. So what you'll see is is, is our our go at it. Uh, so please bear that in mind. Also, the other thing to understand is that obviously the people who did um, answer this survey um, they are obviously very keen in med games more so than your average uh, person out there. So they are self-selecting and they will be skewed more towards that. So with those uh, with those caveats in place, let's make a start, shall we? Okay, we got 124 people um, fill out the um, survey that we sent out, which, so thank you very much. All of our um, pesky um, pushing people to do it um, worked out for something, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, of those 124, I suppose it's not unsurprising that most of them hail from the UK, 58. Next up is from the US, uh, 33, and then some people from Europe, um, obviously a few less from Australia and Canada. Yeah, the one with the two with the flags next to it essentially shows uh, the, the basically other. They chose other. So those two other people would have seen questions in US dollars. That's the only change that they would have seen. They would have seen the same questions as everybody else otherwise. And those 124 people, they played um, this range of games. You can see the bottom right-hand corner of the screen there. So basically, the most people in the year prior to COVID, so 2019, um, would have played um, two games. 34 people played two games. And then... 
one to one and three to four with the next and then obviously it goes down so the, the sort of regulars and um, we, we only got a few of those obviously maybe 30 people from five games up to 10 plus uh, but yeah so a, a fairly nice split i suppose across um, new players um, and and uh, people who play regularly um, and obviously 15 as well have never played a game so uh, obviously they'll be able to get get to one after covid ends at some point in the future mm. next time chris yeah, go for it. I'm just going to interject. It's actually really nice to see so many people attending kind of seven to nine and ten plus games a year. Where a few years ago that wouldn't have been wouldn't have been something that was possible. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, like I said, there's 124 people have filled this out. So um, obviously across the globe, there's obviously quite a few more than that. But uh, that's that's the number we got uh, to, to complete our survey. Um, so the next three slides, I'm afraid they're going to be a bit a bit of a noisy mess, as you can see on screen right now. What I've tried to do is, um, well, we'll just run through the slide and we'll, this will be the same for every slide, basically. So you've got the, the five um, countries listed there. So you've got the UK, America, Australia, Europe, and uh, Canada. Um, and inside those, you've obviously got the boxes showcasing what sort of what people answered as questions. So we'll go through those now. Um, like I say, it's a bit noisy, so do bear with. Um, what I've done is all of the, and now obviously 30 pounds is not equivalent to 30 Canadian dollars or 30 US dollars, but I've basically, every sort of numerical value is the same color. So 30 pounds, 30 dollars is yellow, for example, and $40 or 40 pounds is uh, green. So hopefully you can sort of see that across the uh, across the board there. But this question is, on average, how much do you pay for an in-person mega game ticket, excluding transport and accommodation and any other charges that would get you to the game? As you can see, um, if we start with the UK, the primary amount is £30. And that's what, if, you, if you've ever played a game in the UK, then you'll probably know that's the case. Uh, basically, mega game makers, they obviously are um, have been around the longest um, and from the Shall I Sit Down video, which most of us probably on this um, on this podcast right now have all joined because of that video, um, joined the hobby from that. And so other groups that have started up and other people who run games have kind of used that benchmark, that £30 benchmark. So that's why the majority have paid um, £30 there. Um, looking across the others, I mean, obviously, it's not huge numbers, as you can see. Um, it seems to be roughly $30, $40 ish seems to be about the right um, price point that people pay at the moment um they're quite low figures so obviously um but yeah speaking to various other groups around the world they, they they what they sold me as well was kind of correlated a few us groups charge 20 dollars. i think the australians charge about 20 dollars, maybe 30 and um, so yeah kind of correlates with that i don't know if you guys got any questions or anything you want to say about that no just the uh, brief interlude to say that i hadn't noticed that you'd color-coded the numbers you are a nerd Yes, an utter, utter nerd, even though it's a very noisy screen. <laughs> <laughs> Next slide. That's all, I've got. That's all I've got on that. that thanks. thanks. <laughs> that's, that's really really useful input. I appreciate it. Cheers. You're welcome. You're welcome. Happy to help. <laughs> Go on the next slide. At the next slide? No, mm. that's the next slide. Yeah. Uh... Yes. Okay. So again, the noise continues. But yes, so this, this question is, what is the most you would uh, be willing to spend to buy an average in-person mega game ticket? And again, excluding transport and accommodation and anything else gets you to the game. Um, yeah, kind of. So again, the Brits, uh, majority would pay £30, which is what they currently pay generally. Um, obviously, some more people, uh, some people would pay more, up to up to £50 there, as you can see. Um, 16 would pay 40 Um So... 
yeah, I mean, it's very much a hobby. I mean, what, as if we all didn't know that to begin with, this is very much a hobby um, experience. Um, and I think the prices probably reflect that. Uh, maybe people would pay more. We'll come on to that in a second, why they would pay more. But maybe they'd pay more if there's um, maybe better components or maybe a more suited venue, perhaps. Um, but yes, across the board, again, you can see that um, roughly $50, $60 um, in the different countries and 50 euros there again smaller numbers in the uk but that's pretty much what people would pay up to as majority it looks like um but i think it probably does depend on on the kind of experience that they're getting i mean obviously it's an all-day experience anyway and uh, for mega game but it depends on i guess what extras might be possible to provide and um, understanding that right now i mean i'm sure that most uh, groups and designers are running things to a um either to cost or to, or to a deficit yeah. What was really interesting about this slide to me was that <clears throat> for the Brits, 24, £30 pounds is the first option. And then the first option in all of the others was the, the higher bracket. It was the 50, mm. 60, 50, 60. So it very much kind of points towards there has been a standardization that's occurred in the UK. Yes. But people are, in general, in slightly newer markets, willing to, to pay a bit more. And uh, Nathan from MGTX uh, has put into the channel's question, it seems like there may be more standardized in the UK since hobby is going there for longer. And I would say that's exactly right. Um, I, it, that would be my opinion on, on kind of why these results kind of look like this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I say, I think Meg Game Makers, obviously, they charge £30. And I think everybody sort of, well, a lot of people have entered the hobby and started up new groups in the UK from the Shut Up Sit Down video um, of Watch the Skies. So, um, sort of based the pricing on the same, you know, it works for Meg Game Makers, it can work for everybody else. I think it's probably where, where it's gone. Um, I'm seeing the first slide again, just to be a pain. Uh, if I leave it alone for too long, does it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's very amusing. Uh, so oh, no. you're still just seeing the first slide? Yep. Yeah. In retrospect, Chris, I'm not sure it was necessary to put that slide at the beginning telling everyone that we're amateurs and we don't know what we're doing. I think we both <laughs> would have picked that up quite quickly. <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what you mean. Like, you know, it's t total professionalism around here. 100%. Uh, is that better? Uh, we got the beginning slide the again. first slide again. Yep. Why? 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 <laughs> the <line? laughs> Oh, no. Oh. Oh, no, in fact, uh, no, first slide. <laughs> Still first slide? No, it kind of moves, kind of moves to the next slide, then presents yeah. the first slide back again. It goes out to, to be your desktop view, I'm assuming, and then clips yeah. back into the, uh, to the first slide. Whilst you fix that, maybe we'll just carry on talking. But yeah, no, so um, it seems like, um, yes, very much standardization in the UK. Um, I guess, obviously, the hobby post um watch the skies has been going what six years now five years um and obviously you've got new people coming in from that so things have changed quite a bit already um and things might well change on the pricing front um into the future but right now for sure it's very much a case of standardized pricing um i think i think it's also interesting way. though that in um obviously like you say we've got the standard like mega game makers model that we've inherited in the uk mm. but in countries where that isn't the case it has also seemed to have at around about 30 of whatever the local currency is and um I, I think that's an interesting phenomenon yeah for sure it is especially in the uk i mean i know we've talked about it before but um sort of escape rooms generally if they're in london they're about 30 pounds for an hour um, and i know obviously you can't um sort of really quantify an escape room with a, with a mega game they're very different experiences but obviously a mega game runs full day so it's very good um sort of value for money uh, in that respect i think just paying 30 pounds um 
Okay, it's kind of just jumping around a bit, but it's fine. So, um, for your first made game, uh, when you knew little to nothing about the hobby, how much would you be prepared to pay? So this is the last of the um, busy slides. So uh, hopefully we can get through this one. But again, um, focusing on the UK, first of all, um, 25 people, the biggest chunk. So they will pay 30. So I, I don't know if that's because that's what they've already, you know, prepared, you know, have paid in the you know when they first joined and then they think that's reasonable and um, it's hard to say but yeah some people um, in the uk would pay less so 20 would pay less and um, 20 pounds and 10 pounds so that's um quite surprising to me actually um considering like i say you get a full day's worth of entertainment so um <laughs> it seems quite surprising but uh yeah and then again small numbers across the rest of the um countries but um sort of around sort of similar pricing 30 dollars 20 pounds 30 dollars 20 dollars 30 euros um so yeah i i guess it probably ties into the lack of marketing obviously most um groups sort of advertise their games over over um over facebook and there's not really the opportunity there's no sort of videos past the sit down video really to show to showcase what the experience is like so if people are going in not knowing what they're going to expect then it's very much harder to push the price any higher i'd imagine yeah, I think you can kind of see that in, again, we talk about escape rooms a lot when we talk about kind of comparisons, whether rightly or wrongly. But when you go to an escape room, you might look up some kind of reviews as, is this a good escape room? But essentially that doesn't exist for the majority of mega games other than Watch the Skies and Den of Wolves and a select kind of other couple. They're not being run time and, and time again. They're, there's very little ability to kind of judge the experience that you're going to have and it is a and it is a full day and it looks yes. like a hectic one at that uh if you look at the shut up and sit down videos and, and they are hectic days which to those of us who do a lot of them is that what that's what we love about them but if you're going to launch yourself into it are you going to pay more than say in the uk 30 quid for something you're very unsure about very few people have done and you've got no standardized measure for yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, it, you, yeah, you expect to put a full day of your life into it, plus pay a certain amount of money. Yeah, you, if you have no idea what's coming, then yeah, I can absolutely understand that you wouldn't. The average person would be not necessarily interested in paying too much more. But yeah, okay, cool. So they're the three sort of very busy slides. And um, if we move on to the next one, no, it's smooth it's professionalism cool. all the way, <laughs> <laughs> or not, as the case may be. <laughs> Are we on the next slide? We, we are no. not, no. no. We're still seeing uh, the same slide, yeah. I'm all... beginning to hate Discord in quite a profound way. <laughs> it's not really um, It's not really a sort of Microsoft Teams experience, is it? No, quite thank that, God. Uh... Right now? Quite that professional. Nope. Do you maybe want to just go back? Oh, okay. <laughs> switch it off and switch it on again. <laughs> I could do that too. That's yeah. all good. Uh, yes, it isn't having a great time picking up uh, the presentation screen. To be honest with you, you had a better chance than me because uh, I was just seeing a white screen whenever I tried to share it. So we're up on that point. Right. Okay. So we're going to do something slightly different. And... Oh, joy. Now it just doesn't want to show me PowerPoint at all. So whilst you're filling with that, let's go back to the questions then. So, yeah, Alex um, says, us Brits clear like cheaper things. And I think you're probably right, Beck. Um, I know I do. I'm very I was going to say, the, yeah, uh... it's, probably, it's probably the only reason Chris got into Mega Gaming. <laughs> oh, a whole day's worth of experience for £30. I'm in. <laughs> sounds very cheap. 
<laughs> I'd like to deny okay, it, well, but I can't. While, while we're fighting with the technology, uh, Alex has said, is there a case for cheaper first game tickets maybe tempt more newbies in? Um, so this, what I assume, would be the idea that if this is your first ever mega game, you get a discount on the ticket. Um, so we have kind of like... We've had various pub conversations with various groups around the country for such a thing. Um, and I guess the problem would be uh, that I see immediately with that is that there are so many groups running games that um, those sort of systems, and we've also spoken about, um, uh, yeah, that, that kind of a system, it would be kind of a little bit hard to uh, implement, I suppose. Uh, you just have to, every, every group would be on their own for deciding if that's someone's first mega game so you could have someone going around and declaring every game to be their first mega game which you know might might not be the end of the world um but i think it's an interesting idea to to get people into the hobby um but obviously that would be very much down to the individual game runners to to make that decision yeah for sure i know that um johan um off, from gothenburg mega games in sweden i think he's done that before um but there's obviously i, I guess there's the sort of the price theory as well if it goes below a certain price people don't value it whatever the experience or the goods are um, and so they they obviously won't necessarily turn up even um or even think that they will pay that price because they'll think that the experience is too low and um, too too not enough quality so it's, it's a difficult thing balancing i think yeah yeah uh map some people are suggesting you stay out of presentation mode i don't really know what that means but that's the advice from the chat <laughs> q map my, my beautiful, my, how, uh, my beautiful presentation not in presentation mode I don't know if it <laughs> we get we can see it now yeah we can see oh it yes now. there we go here we go um, right, okay, so this get now we're coming out to the less busy slides now to the final questions. So basically, there's four questions on this slide, um, and obviously running from strongly disagree on the left to strongly agree on the right. Um, so the first question is, I would pay more if I knew a game was being held in a better venue. So it seemed appropriate, it's close to public transport, um, it, maybe it's got a be better facilities, perhaps it comes with food, I don't know. But yeah, those kind of sort of things, basically. And you can see there that... Um, sort of pretty much the overwhelming majority really 75 percent um would would pay more which is um kind of surprising to me so i guess i mean venues in london cost enough anyway i think <laughs> looking at them recently <laughs> um so I, i'm not sure that uh, it would be viable i mean i've certainly looked at different venues um and they do i mean you know you, you can end up spending an absolute fortune and i'm not sure it's really appropriate but uh yeah it looks like there's there's Depending on what people consider to be better, better, better venue, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that certainly is the biggest cost for most organisers and designers. I think when they're running their games. Yeah, I, th I think this is one of the first of many examples here of why you'll see that we're not pollsters. Uh, the, word, <laughs> the wording of that is probably a little, a little bit open, but um, mm -hmm. I, I think, uh, like you say, venue is going to be the, one of the biggest single costs to to run a game um, when i looked at that question i was picturing something like a medieval um game played in a castle or something like that or like a uh, modern day watch the skies play, played in a nuclear bunker or some, some, something along those lines um yes. so I, I i that would purely be about theme for me um and i think that would be quite cool uh but yeah clearly some people agree with me yeah, i mean <laughs> I do some LARPing on the side, and there's a lot of LARPs where you pay a significant amount of money to go and, and spend a day or a weekend in kind of a very theme-appropriate uh, type of venue. And I suppose, essentially, what that question might indicate, and I will heavy, heavily caveat the might here, is that there may be room to do games that are more expensive and lean slightly more into the slightly LARPy elements that you see when lots of people turn up in costume for a game. 
So but the problem is then we have to, then we have to have the argument about when a mega game becomes a lop, and I don't think <laughs> want to engage uh, that anymore than I have to. <laughs> and I think that question is totally irrelevant. And if you want to call your game a mega game, uh, and run it in a castle with uh, everyone dressed up as medieval knights, then call it a mega game. And and I'll mirror James, Jim earlier yeah. from uh, the mega game makers talk earlier. There's basically no use to be had in a bit of discussion about what qualifies to be uh, a mega game. Life is a bit too short for that. So if you'd like to run a mega game in a castle that is slightly more larpy, then give it a go. Absolutely, just give it a go and and see if people will explore that kind of price boundary. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like um, well, according to the terribly wordy question, they might uh, might might willing to. Moving on to the next question, I would pay more if I knew uh, betting components were being used. Um, I know this is one of my favourite topics is better components, but um, yeah, so you've got roughly what sixty-five percent, sixty-four percent there, um, who would be willing to pay more potentially um, versus thirty-five percent that wouldn't. Um, I think it comes down to like maybe like you just mentioned about set dressing and stuff. I, I mean. At the sort of price point in the UK, I don't think it's viable really most of the time, um, especially if games are one shot. Um, as much as I, I do like better looking components, um, it's just it just isn't possible. I don't think because I think the, the designer is either running at, at cost or or already even um, at a loss to run their game. So maybe if if um, the, it seems to me like there is a trend for more continuation of running running games sort of what you know not just once so maybe if that's possible then putting some of the potential extra money back into into the game and better components might be a viable idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The... I, I, I think it, again, it, it speaks to theme appropriate venues and um, really cool looking uh, components and miniatures on maps and props for for um, political players, all that kind of thing. I think that all adds to immersion, which I think is more more important to some players than others, and maybe to some games it fits better than others. Um, but as I, as you'll hear me say on almost any podcast I ever do, the thing I love about mega games is it's a wide enough hobby. That all of these sort of things can exist. You can have, I think, um, anything from a really, really uh, meaty, grindery kind of uh, mechanical to something that is borderline LARPy, um, where you don't really have mechanics and it's just people sitting around the table chatting. And like Matt said, you can call both of those things a mega game and anything in between. And I think that's the the beauty of this hobby. Yeah. yeah. For me as well, the kind of I know when I've been to games with great components. So there was a Star Wars themed one up in Dundee a couple of years ago. And they all and I'll say this about a lot of things almost constantly, is what you're seeking to do in a mega game is drive a sense of catharsis. Now obviously components uh, aren't the the be all and end all for that, but I do think that a good set of components can definitely help people uh, relate to what's going on in the mechanical size of the game and when they get bigger when they get destroyed when they disappear that can help drive senses of catharsis because that's that's what we're looking for we're looking for those senses of relief we're looking for those big moments where you've done the trench run on the dreadstar or where you've blown harrison up while doing a live tv broadcast all of these things <laughs> 20, 25 <laughs> minutes in matt you lasted 25 minutes well it's longer than normal well done i think that's a new record yeah. <laughs> or take for example the great components that we used in mirror shape uh you know that one where i beat you in that election that was also a good one, wasn't it yeah all right boys all right 
How am I being the voice of um, reason here? This is unusual. I don't like this it. This is what we drive you to, Chris. Because I, I beat you in that election as well, Chris. <laughs> I don't remember that. No, I don't think you would. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I would pay more if I knew I'd be um, guaranteed up to busy all day. So here we've got uh, roughly 68% saying yes, that they would. So we cross um, agree and strongly agree. And then roughly uh, 35%, uh, sorry, 30% saying that either strongly disagree or disagree on that one. And um, for me personally, I certainly would uh, pay more. And, and I, I obviously, you can't guarantee anything with mega games. You could have one um, run of a game running really well. And the next time around, all sorts of people not having a great time for whatever reason. So it, it, it's very up in the air. So, so it's probably unfair to say guarantee. But um, I, yeah, I certainly I very much personally enjoy being overloaded, uh, much like the um, sort of uh, 60, 70 percent. You know, yeah, the odd, you know, the, the people who agree and strongly agree. I much prefer to be overloaded on a day. And, and you know, if I don't do things, they come back to bite me in the arse later on. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah. This kind of speaks to, as a hobby, doing more marketing and being clearer when we're kind of doing uh, casting questionnaires, mm. when we're doing kind of people choosing roles, exactly what they're what they're signing up to be to be doing because it's not just about people being busy all day it's being people being busy in a way that they like being busy yeah, and true. in the uk uh, becky from becky Becky blogs kind of pioneered the way and kind of doing casting questionnaires and i think that's a really important thing to do finding out what someone wants but it is about that marketing of being able to tell someone this is what you're looking to do for eight hours of your life on the saturday or sunday you're going to do it and so they can have more of an idea if they think they're going to do that because looking at kind of some of the stats that are out there there's plenty of new people that have come into mega games and then gone away after one game because they because they didn't have enough fun now is that because mega games aren't for them or is it because we had games with filler roles and we've probably all been to at least one game with a filler role where they weren't busy enough all day so there's a lot more consistency we need to get out and basically I think in my head, those people telling us that they're going to pay more if they can guarantee they're busy are basically telling us what we need to do in terms of their expectation management. It also starts to verge into um, the idea of people paying different amounts of money for different roles in the game. So rather than just paying and saying, I'd like to be on this team, you you pay, say, for example, more money to be the US president that watch. A lesser role, or you know, you you buy the exact role you want, and you pay an extra amount of money for that, which uh, I think is an interesting interesting question to to consider, and may not be um may not be something that anyone has considered before. Yeah. I know that when we obviously when our sort of group of mega game friends have discussed it before, there's been, as you'd imagine, kind of people on each end of the scale of you know that's a terrible idea or that's the best idea ever. So yeah, I, I guess until somebody um, potentially tr trials that, then yeah, maybe we won't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, final question on this slide. I wouldn't pay any more than I currently do to attend a mega game. Um, so this is a bit backwards. <laughs> Again, we're not pollsters. <laughs> so what you're seeing here is the strongly disagree and disagree, um, which is adding up to roughly, what, 75, 76%. Um, they are saying that they would pay more. Um, I think, as long as they read the question the way that I wrote it. <laughs> Good luck, everybody. Um, so yeah, I think, so, I think so, they're not, not saying that they wouldn't not pay. That's very clear. Thank you. I appreciate appreciate your uh, your available input there. You're welcome. Uh, so, You're welcome. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, it looks like across the board that 
well, not across the board. The vast majority would pay more, um, and maybe for the reasons that are stated above, uh, plus probably many, many more others. So it looks like there is at least some um, give way, you know, give in, in that, in the, in the sort of, at least in the UK, £30, £30 price point. But obviously, I wouldn't imagine that just upping the price and not doing anything else differently would be um, sufficient uh, for most people to pay more, I would think. Yeah, I, th I think I think one of the only things you can take from it definitely is that there is an appetite for people to pay more money for a mega game ticket. Um, particularly why that is, I think it's going to vary massively from person to person. So that that we're unable to say, but I think we can pretty confidently say that there is a taste and a market out there for people to pay more money for a mega game ticket for a variety of reasons. Mm. Yeah, and that's certainly what these kind of questions seem to represent and the kind of slides up where we talked about, well, people answered, how much would you be willing to, to kind of pay? So there's definitely some room there when you're attacking people or you're questioning people on kind of individual issues. Can we go to the last slide, Chris? Yeah, go for it. Okay, Yes, it is. Oh, <laughs> well done. It's <laughs> only taking us to the... It's only taking us to the down well done yeah yeah it's all good <laughs> right okay um so second to last question then so what would stop you paying more to play a mega game and obviously we allow multiple answers here so that's why you're seeing many more than 124 answers um, so go across the board there the highest one will start with green in the middle there which is if it's the first run you can't be sure if it's quality and I certainly um, do worry about that as well. I've been to first runs of games and um, not had a particularly great day sometimes um, because, you know, things you know, it can almost be described as, the, you know, the first real play test of the game when it's fully rolled out to everyone um, who's going to play it. Um, so that, that, that does concern me. So that definitely resonates with me. Um, then you've kind of got in second and third, you've got the um, orange and uh, red columns there. So red is I cannot afford to do so. Totally understandable. And uh, orange, I don't know the designer's track record. And I guess that sort of goes a little bit with the green value as well. Um, if, if, I've, if, if it's somebody who I've never heard of before, then I would be reticent to pay um, more um, to play a mega game or even possibly £30 in the UK um, if you don't know what kind of day you're going to get. Uh, then we go down to the yellow on the right-hand side. I've got 38 people saying, I'm not sure I'll be busy enough for the entire game. And I, I think, like you mentioned that just now, it uh, goes back to not necessarily being busy, but being you know doing things you want to do, that you, you enjoy. Um, I, I know for certain I'm a much more a political player than I am a um, mechanical player. So if you stuck me on a map and I was busy all day, I think I'd probably hate it. <laughs> so yes. And then... Yeah, well, uh, different, busy, busy is not equal amongst players, I think yeah, that's 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 definitely true. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, what one what one person considers busy and another will be very different, and it will also be different for an experienced player to a new player. Yes. The amount that I will handle during a day now, having played seventy plus games, is very different for the first couple of games I played, where I was just kind of overwhelmed by stuff that I would now I, I would find quite simple. So when we talk about are you going to be busy enough for an entire game we do need to be aware that possibly unhelpfully for for us in in the community that that is not going to be equal for for people and that kind of talks to a range of roles and flex in roles and what people can do in teams so they can help people who may be struggling out and to player uh, control whose day is just to make sure that players aren't getting overwhelmed and especially new player control mm. 
definitely. And, and I think, I mean, Meg Game Makers um, folks talked about this morning, but uh, obviously new player control is, is kind of a new thing in the UK. And I think it's being used by more groups, which is absolutely fantastic. Because obviously, you know, if you, my first game was what was the guys for? So I, <laughs> I was completely overwhelmed that day um, with 300 people in the room plus me. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Being able to see somebody and say, look, I don't know what I'm doing or can you give me some help? Or um, what do you think to this idea? Or have you got any suggestions for me? I think that's an absolutely fantastic idea. Okay, and then so the final question then, so sort of two-parter here. Um, so does knowing that a mega game we run for cost mean that you pay more for a ticket, or does it knowing that you'll be paying paying and um, will go to a profit for the mega game designer, would you may pay more for the ticket? So starting with the cost, there's obviously an overwhelming agreement that people would pay more, um, and I think, at least in my mind, these kind of two two, two sides of the same coin. Um, you've got an overwhelming design not to pay anymore if it's going to go to profit and i think that i mean certainly do some, doing some research with um, various different mega game groups around the world um, and obviously running this survey um it, it goes without saying mega gaming is extremely niche and very much a hobby um, experience across the board i mean i don't know of any commercial um uh, leisure um groups out there at all it's all hobby groups and those those are mostly running either at cost and breaking even or for the games or they're or they're losing money on the games so i think that like I say, two sides of the same coin for me, the cost or the profit. I mean, you're, you know, you're probably not paying the designer for their time. Um, even if you work it out, sort of, um, if, if the country you're in has um, minimum wage, you're probably not even working out that, the amount of hours a designer would spend designing their game. Um, and then you've obviously got everything else, um, venue hire, component costs, um, maybe hire for something to get, get everything there in the day. And so on and so forth. So I think even if you are talking about profit, you're probably only talking about even covering, you know, the med gamers' time, med game designers' time, at least in my mind, um, where we are currently. But yeah, obviously, an overwhelming, the, the overwhelming agreement that people will pay more if it's covering cost. And maybe that's something to point out to people if you're selling tickets. Um, but there's obviously li little desire or a lot less desire, sorry, um, for doing it if there's a profit involved. Yeah, I kind of like to jump in here and kind of there's a, a little bit of a discussion going on in the kind of panel questions and kind of with uh, Anthony Huego kind of going, there are a bunch of things designers, gamers could spend money on that would improve the game, but don't crop up on people's uh, radar because there's never been the money to consider doing it. And then kind of John Kay, so there's a massive jump in the cost, so you need to run an expensive game multiple times. So those are kind of good points in there is, I would say that from having talked to a wide array of people that very few people make any particular money on the first run of a game. The money, if you're going to make any, comes from running it multiple times and from selling the, the design. So unless you're going to go for a big kind of experience style package where you're charging quite a lot of money, you're taking people out to that country house, you're giving them food, and you're putting money on top for that. And, and let's face it, all fully kitted events like that are not the, the biggest money makers to start with. You're going to struggle to make money. So it is in multiple runs of a game that you are going to make money rather than the first single run of mm, it. Definitely. I that kind of the mid game will run for profit means you pay more ticket sales and people being anti that to me means that basically we haven't done a good enough job at a hobby recognizing the amount of work that goes in from designers and <laughs> and means that we haven't done a good enough job in marketing that there's a value proposition and something that you're enjoying for a day because people are fine to go and spend their 30 quid for an hour an hour and a half entertainment in a 
uh, in an escape room. So what is it about what we're doing in mega games that means people getting cagey about that a designer might be making profit on it? So we need to reestablish the value prop and that will speak to solving things like are people busy all day, providing a consistent sense of catharsis, expectation management around the game. So that the answer to that question there is not should not be a signal to anyone to be put off. It should be a signal that we need to work on the value prop and the marketing that we're doing. For me, anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think <laughs> the trouble is we all, uh, we're all roughly on the same page with this, I think, um, for between the three of us. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see the stats, though. Um, like I say, we're not pollsters. There are only 124 people who responded to this survey. So take it with sort of those kind of uh, caveats. Um, but yeah, it is interesting to see the kind of um, where things have landed in this one time with this particular survey. But I agree. I mean, yeah, I think if, if there's more money is able to be invested in either through multiple runs of a game that can then be reinvested in, inside the game, then that's obviously can only be good for everybody involved. But yeah, if, if a game is just run once, then obviously it's highly likely to be done either for cost or for, for, for a loss, which is unfortunate, but it's where we are right now. Yeah, I think I think the uh, like I say the one thing we can really draw from the numbers is that there is there are people out there who want want to spend more. And um particularly that last question about knowing that the game's gonna be run for cost. Uh, I think just simply saying like we're unlikely to make any money from this. So giving people the ability to pay a little bit extra with their ticket to help you cover the costs so you don't always like get put them um, out of pocket by the end of it, something like that, I think would probably be a sensible addition to to most designers and uh, organizers to put on their pages. Yeah, it does seem that way, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And certainly most of the international um, folks that I spoke to, and even the folks in the UK, the designers and groups in the UK, honestly, they're all either running for loss or for cost. There is no profit. <laughs> as much as we've asked about profit, there is no profit in mega games. There is I no mean, profit I think... on a single run of a game. No, 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 absolutely. Well, yeah. yes, no, that's true. Yes. Again, to go, there are designers in the UK who do make money off multiple runs uh, of games, but they're few and far between. They're very, very few so. and far between. Um, but it can be done if you're running a game multiple times. So if you're aiming to make money, then you need to understand that you need to be running your game multiple times. And just going back to the kind of chat, John from West Coast Games is talking about how the expectation in the US is that you might pay control, and uh, Anthony has talked about that. So when I was helping run kind of street games uh, a few years ago, uh, and again, they were priced at about 20 quid a ticket for an hour, an hour and a half worth of entertainment, and there would be five, six people people there helping control the game and they would all be paid 30 quid for, for that hour because there was some time beforehand some time after and that is something that no one when you're turning up to that street game uh, to run around london for an hour is thinking that people are just making this for cost so again what is it about mega games where we've become so obsessed about people not making uh, a profit off the the huge amount of effort that they're putting into it. Is it that it comes across as a an amateur experience? Uh, is it about components? Is it about consistency of the of the games? That is the thing we really need to to drill down because this is something that people do for fun, right? And there's plenty of examples of other hobbies where people uh, are willing to to pay more for that and kind of compensating designers. So if anyone is going to look into that, that and maybe it's something us here at the Mega Assembly to do, it's something to kind of drill down on where 
where does the so closely tied mentality come from? I think as well, there's there seems to be this kind of nervousness that anyone says around um, making making a game to to kind of make money, and it's it's really more. In in my mind, anyway, and I'm not speaking on behalf of everybody, but my mind, it's it's more like if if we can get to the point where running a mega game isn't going to default to costing you money as well as costing you the amount of time, that would mean that the more there's more people out there who will will make games, who'll run games, and we'll get more games out there for people to play. That's that's what I think the advantage would be if if we could help people to get to the point where. If you run a mega game, you don't end up being hundreds of pounds out of pocket or hundreds of whatever your local currency is, um, as well as you know the hours and hours and hours thinking to running it. I, th- I genuinely think that people sitting down to crunch the numbers and realizing how much of a time and money sink it can be to run a game puts people off from running games. And as I said in our introduction, we, we want the barrier to entry to mega games to be as low as possible. And I think a big part of that is getting more people making mega games, more people running mega games. And if we can help people get to the point where they're not going to automatically lose money, I think that would be a really valuable thing. Yeah. Yeah. The more, more. yeah the more games people are able to run, it does kind of allow people to, to pump up the innovation. And you can, you've really seen it in the UK scene in the last. Uh, kind of three or four years with different groups kind of pushing the boundaries and the more they're able to do that and kind of making sure they're not making a, a loss the, the more of those you'll get so you've got people like becky kind of doing trump high you've got the guys up at uh, true north mega games who did it should belong in a, a museum uh alex uh, doing mirror shades these are all radically different games to the ones that we've seen especially in the the immediate previousness from it so it would be great to kind of foster as much of an environment on that as we can that said obviously i'm pushing that i think that people should be if they want to run mega games for profit they absolutely should if you're in a community that just wants to run games for for cost there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and people should absolutely continue to do that that's where we started and there's a lot of fun to be had that way but if people if people can and they're willing to take the risk i think there's a lot of good stuff that can come out of higher production qualities being able to spend a little bit of money on control more play testing uh, before games and that type of thing. So I think there's a, a lot of rich ground that we could explore as a hobby if there was more money available to designers and game runners. Yeah, so you just mentioned control and, and there are a few people are chatting, chatting about that in the text chat as well. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 all these things that we're talking about now obviously don't even include the fact that control are not even paid. They, they're very generally volunteers. And if you paid um, control sort of minimum wage in the UK, I think it's seven, eight pounds an hour now um, for for a full day it's um yeah it's it's it, i mean you, you you're barely breaking even already and you, then you're starting to pay your control play and players it's yeah it's just it's not yeah, viable at all and you know? <laughs> uh, we've got someone else live in here talking i think i think just to uh, again to the reference going on in the chat um alex and uh junkie with having a conversation about it and junkie with said that breaking even is good and alex has said i would agree but in an ideal world i'd love that to include my time as an organizer and designer make it professional so i could do it full time which inevitably would lead to better games too and i think that's basically what we're talking about here if we if we got to the point where there were full-time mega game designers and and so forth i think there would be so much more variety innovation and quality in the hobby that i think it would be uh, an incredible thing yeah, 
I mean, obviously, we're saying all this from a from a perspective of 2020, all sitting in lockdown, and, uh, yeah. and, and and but it's also very much a, a hobby experience right now, and which is great. I mean, we we all love it. We're the reason we started Mega Game Assembly is because we love Mega Games, um, and and I don't think ever the the hobby experience should go away. But it's about obviously what may develop in the future. Yeah, and going back to my previous point again, I think Mega Gaming is vast enough that both can exist, uh, you know, off of each other, and oh, yeah. it, and there'd be nothing to stop the hobby side benefiting from it as well. Like people yeah. are running and playing games, you know. Let's be honest, there's more things for other designers to pinch, more ideas for them to <laughs> to see working and take and put into their own games, more games to people to go to to learn stuff from other games. I think just generally it would just be a a benefit to the community at large and whether that's the hobby side or the professional side or, or what have you yeah most definitely um so we plan to um uh, to basically sort of uh, put these results on our web page so in the next couple of days you see a blog post and what we'll publicize it a little bit uh, but yeah basically we'll, we'll make all the data available in a csv format so if you uh, are better at excel than i am which most is probably, let's be honest pretty much everybody and um, then you can certainly play around with the data and um, take it away have a look at it and um, see if you can produce some better charts with less noise than i could uh, produce um but yeah we'd love to see what other people what other people think as well yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess at this point, we turn it over to questions, unless either of you have got anything else to say about these? No, I think I'm good. Yeah, I think we've uh, wooded on about these. So it would be, yeah, great for, for questions for us, either as having a kind of played games, uh, or kind of wider experiences that we've had uh, across the hobby because i think as the three of us we've been quite lucky to, to have a, a fairly wide experience across the hobby yes so send us your cues we have a's probably <laughs> well maybe <laughs> Assembly. We are a cooperative, Anthony. <laughs> well, well I'd say, I, I would, I would say that that's Grandfather Brown because he is uh, <laughs> senior in in many ways. Oh towards. God! Awful. <laughs> for age, please. Fucking hell. <laughs> Hateful. Get off, get, off, get off his lawn. Is basically. What he's <laughs> Chris is not careful. Yes, Chris is a tender eighty-two. He doesn't look a day over seventy. <laughs> I hate you both. <laughs> Love you too, Chris. <laughs> uh, how many, how many games have you? Sorry, go on. No, go on. Yeah. How many games have you been to now, Matt? Yeah, come on, tell us. We want to know. Stop with that one. So the last time I counted, it's not eight thousand and two. I wish it was. Mm. I think I just crested seventy uh, with the last couple of online games that have been going on, and that is. Uh, since the first game I attended, which was one of Jim's kind of universe games for Warwick University, I kind of got oh. in a, a car with Jim. Jim was very uh, uh, helpful enough to provide me a, a lift up, and I, I played Fantastic. Venetians, uh, Venetians there, um, oh. which was great fun. And then after that, I think my next game was first well the second round of funeral games which is absolutely fantastic uh by by rob uh, and then in straight into watch the skies 2 which is an entirely different beast ah aren't you um doing a watch party watch skies 2 tomorrow uh, i am indeed so everyone should also tune into that nice pitch Chris. <laughs> nice pitch beautifully done good good swerve there wasn't it <laughs> okay so, so alex has asked what have been your favorite games of the last couple of years and he says you don't have to mention any of his which is lucky because uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> last Chris, couple of years. Oh god, don't forget, my, years. my slow old brain have to think. Um, <laughs> last couple of years. Uh... Okay, Matt. Favorite game in the last couple of years. Oh 
God damn it, Harrison. Um, favorite game in I, I'm house. the moderator, so I don't have to come up with answers. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I volunteered for this <laughs> That's job. not true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, in the last couple of years. Um, it's a really hard one because there are so many kind of great games. Um, I know. <laughs> the, the Crisis and Elysium game, which I think might just kind of sneak uh, under that. I had a great uh, time at uh, that game. I really, really, really enjoyed uh, Deep Haven over at Gen Con uh, last mm, year. That was good. Uh, kind of wheeling and dealing and turning myself into some type of underworld uh, figure uh, because I couldn't get any of the other resources <laughs> that I needed. So I just uh, I turned to crime instead, uh, which I think we can agree is the only reasonable way. When in doubt, turn to crime. That's, that's, that's how we always go, isn't it? Come on, Chris, have you had enough time to think of anything? Just about. Uh, I think go I'm going to go with um, Becky's uh, first run of Everybody Dies, which was the Game of Thrones mega game. Um, I was um, got co-opted into the game at the last minute, probably like a week before I got a ticket, because uh, somebody else dropped out. And uh, I went along as one of the maesters, and we had a secret plot, which was to kill all the Targaryens, because I can't remember why, but there were reasons. Um, and uh, we, we almost managed it. There were three of us. We almost managed it. We managed to kill, like, poison the children, throw them out windows. It was terrible. It was horrific. We almost managed it. And then we were just going after Daenerys, and uh, somebody else called Rob Grayson, who I didn't know at the time, but has become a good friend since, he interjected and, and whisked um, Daenerys away from us and uh, saved her. And I'm sure that that will be fine. Obviously, we, what what what, what uh, damage could a ten year old girl do, really? Absolutely none. Absolutely no, none. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. So we, we were close, but you know, it doesn't matter. We almost got them all. Okay. Uh, Ed Silverstone would like to know what's one design trend or game mechanism you'd like to see more of, and why. I'm the moderator. We've been over that's, this. That's I, like I asked the question. question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Sorry, I'll have a crack. Um, so someone's going to have to help me with the name of the game, but it was one that was run by Pennines, uh, and in it there was a mechanic of time. So everyone, depending on how powerful they were, had a certain amount of time to spend, and you could go and spend your time doing various things. So as long as you had the time to spend, you could do whatever you wanted, uh, but it made you make sort of uh, restricted decisions. Um, and was it, was it, it wasn't Mega Man? Junters, there we go. Thank you. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I didn't remember that one. I didn't go to that. Yes, yes. No, oh yeah, I did, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> his memory is failing him in his old age. Times is kicking in. I'm sorry. I can't. What, what can I say? But yes, I thought that was very interesting. Interesting design me- mechanism I hadn't seen before. There you go. Yeah. I've answered the question. It's your turn. Uh, for me, I think it should be I Belong in a Museum, which was one of the True North games, uh, which had some really compelling kind of story and quest mechanics in it. Uh, it also appeared in a pirate game that was done in Pennines uh, as well. Um, and I really like that, as, and I said I'd bang on about it, as that sense of catharsis when you're going through these quests kind of gathering resources and then you get to complete them uh, i think they're they're really good ways to drive player engagement and the good thing about them could be they don't have to be all day things so you can get that kind of cycle of reward going by doing multiple of these uh, in a day so yeah i really really like that and have been intending to put them into the my own game which i'm designing at the moment my understanding was there was an awful lot of room consumed in those pirate games was that affecting your uh, judgment at all on how, how the mechanics were <laughs> I couldn't possibly speak to that. Uh, my <laughs> no, difference. I'm sure. I'm sure. Chris, have you, has the old mind kicked in yet? Have you thought of anything? Well, I'm going to I'm going to copy uh, Matt because it was the Pennines Pirate game. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but uh, yes, basically, 
uh, I had a fantastic day. I was with um, Jerry and another guy, and we we um, basically were the we were the pirate king gang, and got ousted by the British from the pirate island in like turn one because they came along and bombed us and got us out of there. But uh, we had an absolutely fantastic time um, stealing things from the British ships, uh, going after crocodiles with massive gems in their stomachs. Uh, yeah, doing all sorts of random crazy crazy quests. I think even control member for that day he um, ran out of quests. I think because I kept going to him and he kept to start writing them down in front of me it was it was excellent it was a really really fun mechanic and i, I absolutely loved it excellent okay uh, next one from john k if you had an extra thousand pounds to spend on running a game what would you spend it on and i'm gonna go to chris for that one. Oh god he, loves, a... he loves spending money i'd, <laughs> I'd save it i put it in the bank <laughs> no answer no okay. no, no <laughs> Damn it. I've got to spend it. Okay. I probably split it between components um, to, to get better components and also uh, maybe focus on, because obviously designers maybe have a passion for a certain part of the game, um, but potentially they may not have a passion for another part of it. So if they if they didn't like every sort of part of their game, then maybe maybe trying to get somebody else involved, pay them a little bit of money to focus, um, focus their time on, on designing another part of the game that might be brought up to the same sort of standard. Nice. Nice. Matt? Yeah, so I think there there are a lot of things that contend for for that for my mind. Some of them, and one of them is obviously the kind of uh, components, uh, graphic design, kind of set dressing. All of those things can be really evocative. Kingdom of Seasons was really good with the art that was commissioned uh, for for that, and it added a real sense of what was in the universe. The other thing that you could spend money on is uh, kind of control and basically to either get people who are used to kind of facilitating uh, things and there are a lot of people who exist in the more kind of secret cinema street games type of uh, land that are really good actors and stuff and and will come and do this for money that if you had a thousand extra thousand pounds could be quite affordable and so having them as key npcs or as plot control or even if it wasn't all your control team a few seated around the room they could really kind of enhance player experiences even if you just had your quest giver who was uh, doing these plots who is really kind of up in character and help driving a, a narrative so i would be torn if you were to actually ask me to do it which i'm going to do more kind of better components graphics set dressing all that um i think initially i come down on the kind of set dressing the components but that is just because i've got more more familiarity of it Nice, nice. Okay, uh, we have one from Andrew SD. In all the games you've played, which role, if you were able to play any game again, would you love to have a go at? Chris, we'll go to you for that one. Oh, I can tell you that easily. Um, I played uh, Watch the Skies, which was sort of a, I don't know, 40, 50 person player game in Reading uh, a few years ago. Uh, and I was the Russian president. And I, <laughs> I, was, I was mortally wounded by the end of the day, but I'd launched the nuke at Berlin, massacred millions of people. And it was so much fun. I would do that again in the drop of a hat. You were a monster. Angry Russian president. Oh, no. Monster. Says the, man, says the man who put the UN on top of a nuclear bomb. At least I didn't do that. Hey, that was a, that was a purely defensive maneuver. We weren't sure about the loyalty of the UN, and I thought the best, of the UN. best to put them in a confined, safe, secure location, and mm. that just to be a bunker in the middle of the desert with a clear weapon underneath it. it True, and they did, they did love being locked in that room arguing for even they more did, time yeah, than they normally got. Nobody complained. Nobody complained. <laughs> they really didn't. But yes, that's the, job, that's the role I would take up in an instant. I, and I'd love to play Russian president of the large ones of skies. I would have so much fun. I can't tell you. Matt, how about you? Uh, I really, 
I, I, there's a couple that I really, really enjoy being president of China and Watch the Skies for a team of nine people, 320 people in the room, absolute chaos. Uh, absolutely the type of thing I love. I also have a love-hate relationship with the uh, lead kind of runner role in uh, Alex Beck's Mirror Shades uh, universe. Uh, and there's part of me that wants to go back and try and climb that uh, mountain, but I know it will frustrate me greatly, but it is a sense of catharsis, so it's still up there in my mind. <laughs> um, so, but prob it's between that or, or playing a, a kind of, a big nation in a, a huge watch the skies again. Nice, nice. What about well, you, Harrison? Well, my question would be if Andrew is the Andrew who was the treasurer in three. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if that. If because that everybody dies three. The one I wish I had have another go at. Yes, he was. Okay, cool. So what I would do is I would knife you at the very, very beginning of that uh, initial <laughs> small council session instead of allowing you to run out the back door with all of our treasury. It and, might have uh, changed our game if you managed to do that. <laughs> it would have changed our entire day if I managed to do that. <laughs> My single biggest regrets in Mega Game. <laughs> I'm on my Sweet way move, to... Andrew. Sweet move. There are many scores. Oh god. So badly. So should we get the last quick one in? How do you think the development of online mega games is going in this week? Hey, 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 I'm I'm the moderator of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. so I'm just trying to get it in under Moderate. time. Okay, okay, I think we've got time for one last question. Uh, how do you think the development of online mega games is going in this weird time? And I'll go over to Matt for that because I think he's got thoughts on it. Smooth, I, very smooth. Oh no, he was trying to get other people to answer it first. <laughs> See, not just anyone can moderate these things. I don't think we can do my job. Just, just people. Um, I'm going to say that I think they're going uh, really well. So the the kind of variants on the kind of classic uh, stuff has been really interesting. So one of the Den Walls I went to, um, where there was kind of AI stuff that was implemented, was really uh, quite cool. Uh, John Keyworth ran a uh, playtest for a 40k inspired game, and that was really good. Really good use of uh, kind of Roll Twenty, and then later in another iteration, something he'd written himself, and that was really cool because it was allowing you basically to do all of the negotiation shenanigans that you're doing in a mega game while actually having a, a cleaner interface that you didn't have to worry about so much as a player anyway that you didn't have to worry so much about what dice you're rolling because it's all happening via computer and that's the type of technology combination i would really like to see if we can use technology to actually get deeper rules into uh, a mega game so we don't have to worry about people reading big rule sets for a game they're turning out to play once you can get some of that kind of rules complexity that adds to play because you can get the computer to do it amazing okay and we're just about to run out of time so i'm not going to let chris answer that question and i'm just going to say that i think uh if we can say one good thing's come from lockdown it's been the creation and the modifying of online mega games because i think the variety in the space is awesome uh so i think that's probably it it's now nine o'clock so I don't know what happens now. I guess we just... I think we uh, just called it there. Well, we, if, if we say, if you want to learn more, go to megagameassembly.com yes. and head over to Facebook. <laughs> there we go. Yes, megagameassembly.com. And you'll find all of our things there. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for hanging around and listening to us. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry that Matt, that Matt screwed up the PowerPoint. No, <laughs> apologize on behalf of Matt. <laughs> got dumped on him. <laughs> it's all Chris's fault, really. Can't